Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. He's been pleading with the people to come back to God, put away their false religion, put away their idols, put away the distractions, put away their hard heart and open up their heart and say to God, Lord, I yield to you completely. Have your way in my life. In this age of strategic planning, visionary business development and goal setting, we like to plan, don't we? And we like to see our plans fulfilled in logical order. Often God has different ideas. Have you noticed that? Our idea of order isn't the same as his? Mm. Let's join Dr. Corbett now as he looks at your life prize. So as we're looking at Jeremiah, we're going to be looking at these few verses and, and hone in on verse 8. And in verse 10, we see this expression, you shall have your life as a prize. Uh, sorry, in verse 9. And this is an expression that will again be repeated by Jeremiah in uh, Jeremiah 38, where he will make the same point. So let's, let's read from verse 8 down to verse 10, then we'll come back to verse 8 and anchor it there. And to this people you shall say, thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. And he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who are besieging you shall live and shall have his life as a prize, a prize of war. Verse 10, for I have set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares the Lord. And it shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall burn it with fire. And if you know anything about the gospel and Jesus. You know, Jesus says something very similar to this in Matthew 21, where he laments Jerusalem. And it wasn't Babylon that he was going to hand the city over to. It was the Romans. And in AD 70, the Romans came in and did exactly what the Babylonians did. Exactly. Tore the temple apart brick by brick, killed priests, they they did exactly the same. So this is Jeremiah making a very messianic type of prophecy. He's a young man here. So, notice verse 8. And you shall say to this people, thus says the Lord. By the way, it sounds like God is saying, this is what I'm going to do. Does, does it sound like that? Or does it sound like God saying, you know, this is what I'd really like to happen and I hope it works out this way. It doesn't sound like that to me. This, this is what I'm doing. This is set this before the people. And I've got to tell you, for most of the week as I've meditated on this verse, I thought the verse said something. I actually thought the verse said, I set before you the way of life or the way of death. And yesterday, I realised it doesn't say that. I set before you the way of life and the way of death. Now, what, what's the big deal? And, or surely it's the same sort of meaning. No, it's actually a world of difference. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, we find Moses, just before he dies, talking to Israel and saying to them, I set before you life or death. Blessing or curse, he says. 
And in the previous chapters, he has said in Deuteronomy 26, this is how you can have blessing. And it goes through 27, 28. This is how you can have curse. So blessing, life, curse, death. There's your choices. And I thought that's what Jeremiah was saying. But that's not what he's saying. I'm setting before you life and death. Now, in one sense, it, it sounds similar also to what Joshua did. So, so after Moses finished up in his leadership with the people, I set before you blessing, life, curse, death. You, you choose, your choice. Joshua did the same thing. You know where he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He has just said, choose life. You have the choice between life or death. Choose life. Why isn't Jeremiah pleading with the people to choose life? The simple answer is this. He has been. For 20 chapters, he has been. For 20 chapters, he's been pleading with the people to come back to God, put away their false religion, put away their idols, put away the distractions, put away their hard heart and open up their heart and say to God, Lord, I yield to you completely. Have your way in my life. I will serve you and I will not fear man. I will not do what the pagans do. I will not worship the way they worship, how they take their babies and sacrifice them and throw them in the fires and how they bow before false gods and have sex with prostitutes in order to replicate some kind of fertility cult right over their crops. We will no longer do that. This is what the prophet was pleading with them for. And they said, no, we will continue to worship the way we're worshipping because Jeremiah, we think you're nuts, is essentially their, their response. Now, here's, here's the thing. We have Moses offering the people a choice. We have Joshua offering the people a choice. We have 20 chapters of Jeremiah offering the people a choice. One day, one day, some people may find that they've hardened their heart so far that choices no longer look available to them anymore. Here's one of the, the mysteries, and I, I hope we can unpack this a little bit. One of the greatest powers you have is your power to choose. Your power to choose. You can choose to serve God. You can choose not to. I was, um, in fact, I'm writing a, um, a series of devotionals for the Bible Society called In 25 Words, or, or, or the 25 Word Campaign. And it's going to be launched in October. And I'm currently doing the book of Revelation. And I've currently, I've done up to day 12. And I'm in Revelation 7. And I, and I was looking at this last night and this morning, just as, uh, for my own devotional. And, and in Revelation 7, it talks about the marking of the 144,000. And it talks about 12 groups of people that people assume are the tribes of Israel, but there's no list of these groups ever being the tribes of Israel. So it tells you something else is going on. And then it, it describes these 12 groups of 12,000 in verse 9 as a number so vast it can't be counted. Revelation 7, 9. A multitude so great. So there goes that 144,000. Sorry, Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not a literal, wooden literal number. It means something. The redeemed. 
And at the end of it, end of chapter 7 in Revelation, it says this. They shall come to Jesus, who shall be their, I think it says, he, he shall be their temple, uh, he shall be their light, he shall be their food, he shall be their drink. They shall no longer thirst, they shall no longer hunger, they shall no longer be in darkness, for they shall be with the, with the Son of God, Jesus, the Lamb of God. And it's a beautiful picture of what happens when you make the choice to make Jesus your Lord not on the moment, not at the moment of your conversion, but every day. Let Jesus nourish your soul. When you're thirsty, cry out to Jesus for a drink. When you're hungry and there's something missing in your life, cry out to him for nourishment. When you don't know where to go and you need some light, cry out to him, God, give me some light on this matter. Let Jesus be that one to you. And you can choose to do that or you can choose not to do that. And the mystery of it is that God will still have his way. But it's your choice. Now, we, we've got a choice because, and I'm gonna, this is a, kind of a big word, it's the word volitional. Volitional means you can choose to do this or choose not to do this. Volitional. You, you exercise volitional power volitional you have a volitional will you could choose to be here this morning or you could be you could choose to be at home and watch international button collectors expo i have no idea as you can tell i don't know what's on but man i'd much rather be here you can choose in fact you're created in the image of a god who exercises choice therefore you have choice you can exercise Choice, because you're made in the image of God. Now here's a thought that I think is one of the most profound thoughts you'll hear all day. And it's this. God offers you eternal life, but he doesn't impose it on you. Why? Because you're created in his image to choose. If he just did it without your choice, he is making you less than an image bearer. God offers you the choice. Will you receive him or will you not? One of the heartaches for me as a pastor is that anybody can be a part of this church, especially a child, grow up through the church, hear about Jesus, hear the Bible preached, hear about God, hear about the love of God, begin to understand the grace of God and never receive it. Tragic, absolutely tragic. And a part of the tragedy is when people think that salvation is simply a matter of going to heaven or not going to heaven. For me, that's really just such a side issue. It's off the map. It's such a side issue. Salvation is about having peace with God. It's about coming to know God. It's about finding Christ as the treasure of your soul, the delight of your life, the joy of your heart. That's what salvation's about. And you drink from those wells every day. When you're a follower of Christ. Now here's Jeremiah offering the people the choice. And, and unfortunately, going ahead in the story, the king is, is, a, is going to tell Jeremiah, no. No, you're a false prophet, Jeremiah. He's going to lock him in prison and it's just going to go horrible for Jeremiah in a moment. Now here's some false ideas about salvation. You see... Uh, I believe in what's called the sovereignty of God, 
that God is in control. God has a plan. And, and my next statement it does not start with the word but. It starts with the word and. And within this plan, God has given each of us the opportunity to either accept or reject what he offers. Now, it's not a but, it's an and. How does that work, Pastor? I'm not exactly sure. You'd have to be God to figure it out. And I think he has. So God knows the choices that you will make. That's not the basis of his sovereignty. God is able to, to save people by, by setting them up for salvation. Every person I've spoken to, I've said, tell me, when you became a Christian, did you feel God had set you up? Did, for those here, if, when you became a Christian, did you feel that God had set you up to become a Christian? Do you feel God was working in your life leading up to that moment? I certainly do. Absolutely I do. God is sovereign. He can work that way. Here's some false ideas about salvation, though. Because there are some people that say, no, that both of those things are true. Uh, sorry, not true. Man doesn't really have choice. And God really doesn't impose anything on anybody. It, 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 there's some false ideas about salvation. So here's some scriptures that I want to look at that hopefully will show you that we do have a choice. And for some people to say, my life has gone horrible. How could God do this to me? Is, is really the wrong statement. It's the wrong question. If that's a question, that's the wrong question. A better question is when your life goes horrible, and life can go horrible, as we've, we've heard from the Bouncing Back um, people that we featured. The question is not why, but the question is, really, God, will you help me now? Will you help me in the midst of this? And I got a, I got a really sweet answer for that. You cry it to God like that, and his answer is yes. So here's some false ideas, but let's have a look. We're, we're in Romans chapter 5. And uh, verse 18, it says this, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now, this, is, this verse is, is taken by a group of people to mean that everybody is already saved. They just don't know it. If, if you know the word for that, there's a word for that. And it's called universalism. In other words, when Jesus died, everybody was saved. I mean, isn't that what that verse says? Romans 5.18, by one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men, in the generic sense, men and women, mankind. I mean, there you go. Case closed. I rest my case. Here's the problem with reading a Bible verse. Unless you understand the flow of thought that verse occurs in, you could, you could twist scripture to make it look like an Eastern European gymnast on a mat in trouble. So you need to read these verses in context. So is this, is this a case for universalism? No, and I'm, I'm going to show you why as we read through Romans 5. But some people will take a verse like that and they'll come up with another error. And it's this idea that all religions will lead to God 
and this word salvation. All religions, it doesn't matter. You, you, you can join the Christian club, you can join the Hindu club, you can join the Buddhist club, the Islamic club. It doesn't matter what club, as long as you join a club. It just so happens that you Christians think Jesus signed up with your club. And their idea is that, yeah, Jesus could be the way that God has provided salvation for people of all religions. So it doesn't matter what religion you are, as long as you're sincere. This is called, this is another error called inclusivism. All religions are included. Inclusivism. Now, why are these two, I believe, these two ideas in error? Let's have a a quick survey of what the scripture says. We read in Acts chapter 4. There is, and there is, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You, you can't be saved in the name of Krishna, Buddha, Muhammad. You must be saved in the name of Jesus. This is the only means God has provided. Now let's come back to this Romans 5 passage. Let's have a look at some of the context here. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigns through one man, much more will those who, notice the next word, receive. Receive is a choice word, isn't it? If you receive, sounds like you have a choice. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This is just a few verses down from that previous verse. You see, it actually says there is something to be received. And we could go through the New Testament and it says, for as many as received him became the sons of God, John chapter 1. We go through scripture and uses words like receive and accept. In fact, they're pretty much the words that it uses almost interchangeably. So this idea that some have, that you don't need to become a follower of Jesus to be right with God, you can be a follower of any religion and you'll be right with God, is not what the Bible teaches. There's a whole bunch of people that want to tell you that the Bible is kind of a bit outdated now and we can kind of merge a bit of this and take a bit of this and throw it in the blender and go, and out comes Chrislam is what I'm hearing now. People think you can be a Christian Muslim. It's like, what the heck? This does not work. This whole idea of of universalism or inclusivism does not work. And the idea that you're saved because maybe you just said a prayer, signed a card, please, please. It's got to be something that, that happens in here. And it's working its way out. Not on a card. Not, if you pray a prayer, you're, never, you're not going to hear me say, well done, you're in. What I'm going to say is, you've begun. You may have begun. And my fear is that you could be in this church for years and hear this and be a little bit inoculated to it and go, yeah, yeah, whatever. What a tragedy that would be. And that's where some people have got this idea that salvation is just a matter of going to heaven. You know, we've just got to get people, more people to heaven. Now, we've got to get more people 
reconciled to God, at peace with God. This salvation deal starts now. Jesus becomes your joy now. He becomes your strength now. He becomes your nourishment now, your food, your drink now. He becomes the treasure of your life now. And it should just grow. Let me hear a little amen. amen. No, that was a big one. Just, we, we, we gotta, we gotta get into this. That salvation isn't just a matter of, well, I've signed that card and it's like, yeah, like, whatever. Yeah, I've done that. That's, it's, it's, it's no, come on. <laughs> come on. It's about Jesus. Jeremiah is offering these people for 20 chapters, turn away from sin. Because sin is your enemy. I hear a lot of people say the devil is your enemy. The devil's nothing compared to sin. You may never encounter the devil in your life and you've got the biggest enemy the universe has known. And it's called sin within. Paul talks about it in Romans 7. I hate this story, but let me share it with you anyway. It's the story of the devil on the steps of a church crying. Someone happened to come in late to church. They must have been a seasoned Christian. And they, they saw the devil crying on the steps of the church. and said, well, what's up with you? He says, oh, those people in there. What about them? Oh, they blame me for everything. It's like, <laughs> I don't know about the theology of that story. But it illustrates a point. Your biggest battle is sin. And that's what Jesus Christ came to save you from. And if you think sin is going to do you good, that is in itself a part of the deception of sin. So here's the question. Have you chosen to receive what God is offering? Jesus said to the woman at the well, I've got food. I've got drink for you. And she said, give it to me. And he began to talk deeply about matters of her soul. Have you let Jesus deeply into every fabric of your life? Here's the challenge for me. You can listen in if you want. Because I want to know Jesus. And this Jeremiah that is not offering these people at this time life or death, he's saying, no, it's life and death. In other words, here's the sovereignty of God. You have rejected me, rejected me, and rejected me. I have now decreed some of you will die. Some of you will survive this. And it's the sovereignty of God. Will God have his way? You have to do something in the New Testament with the word predestined. It's in my favourite chapter of the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. God says, he foreknows, he predestines. God is sovereign. God is in control. Now, we love the Spirit of God having his way in our church. We love the Spirit of God speaking. We love the Spirit of God to prompt things in our heart. But I tell you what, we've got to ground that in good, solid biblical theology. And there was recently, in fact, two weeks ago, I heard of a, of a dare I say, it, Pentecostal church where one of the words of prophecy came out and this was it. Thus says the Lord, I have tried and I have tried and I have tried to bring revival to this city. I think, now right there, if I heard God saying, yeah, it'd be like someone, you know, imagine me that church. Would someone help God out, please? I mean, honestly, the poor guy, he's, he's tried, he's failed, he's tried, he's failed, he's tried, he's failed. Does anyone hear that and go, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like the way the almighty sovereign God talks. God doesn't say, look, I tried. I just couldn't get it over the line. I tried again. I, 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 I don't know. I dropped the ball or something. I tried. What? 
that's not the God of the Bible. When God says, thus says the Lord, this will happen. When Jesus says in Matthew 24, 34, thus, truly, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things happen. Was he, as C.S. Lewis says, deceiving his disciples? Because it didn't happen, according to C.S. Lewis. Or was Jesus exactly right? And I'm going to suggest he was exactly right because he was using the language of Jeremiah to speak of the destruction of Jerusalem, which did happen exactly within the lifetime of his audience. So here's the challenge for me. I want to pastor you well. How am I going to do that? I've got to make sure my heart's really right with God. I've got to know Jesus. I want to love Jesus. I want to represent Jesus to you. Please pray that I can be a better pastor to do that. But here's the challenge. Listen in if you want, but this is for me, really. Mark 4.20. It's speaking of the, the, the seed, the word of God, sown in good ground. It says this, But the, those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And right now, just excuse me while I pray, Jesus, let that be. Let that be in my life. Let's pray. Father, we hear the word of the prophet calling the people to make a choice to serve you. We hear the prophet calling the king to humble himself and to choose to do what's right before you. And yet we know from history and as this book unfolds, they did not. And today, Lord, we are, con we are confronted with the same choice. Will we receive what you are offering? Will we accept what you are offering? And so, Father, today I pray for everyone here. Perhaps you're here as we're praying right now. Perhaps you're here and you know you have never received Jesus. You may have signed a decision card. You may have had a moment where you said a sinner's prayer, but you didn't receive Jesus. Will you receive him today? Will you accept him into your life? Oh, yes, he can be the forgiver of your sin. Yes, he can be the saviour of your soul. But he can be so much more. He can be your delight, your treasure, your joy. Will you receive Jesus? You are one prayer away from knowing peace with God. A prayer that says, Jesus, I need you in my life. Please forgive me of my sin. Come and live in my heart and help me to live for you. And now, Father, I pray for those of us that know you. May we know you more. May we dig deep the wells of salvation and draw joy. Joy from being together. Joy from being in your word. Joy from having our daily quiet time with you. May we draw deep joy, deep quenching and deep nourishment each day from that time with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Your idea of order versus God's idea of the way things need to go? Often they're different, and sometimes it takes courage to do it God's way. More from Dr. Corbett next week. 
podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Your Life Prize, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.